your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, one, Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Already for another edition of Sports Nightly tonight, big show coming up, we'll have our Nebraska football show in hour number two. Offensive line coach and run game coordinator Greg Austin will be with us in hour number two. So get your comments, questions ready for Coach Austin. Looking forward to chatting with him about a, an area of the team that can make a very strong case might be the strength of this football team. Man, that feels good to be able to say that. So we'll get into Coach Austin and have all his thoughts coming up in hour number two. The head coach met with the media today following practice. So we'll have a JTEC practice report sound from him. Wasn't very long. The guys had just talked to him a couple days ago, and you still haven't seen this team play yet, so there's not just a ton for them to talk about. Uh, But we'll play back the highlights of what he had to say to the media earlier today. Third hour of the program, it's Thursday. Teddy Greenstein will be along for his weekly guest. He'll chat. Sure, he's fired up for some Big Ten football to get going this weekend. We'll also hear from the voice of the Buckeyes, Paul Keels, as he gets ready to call the season opener for OSU on Saturday. So we'll hear from him coming up in the third hour of the show as well. And as always, phone lines are open and available for you at 531-500-4686. That is our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, Ben, I know you were doing some uh, opponent research today studying the Buckeyes a little bit we really haven't talked a lot about them we did when we did our segment of around the Big Ten a few weeks ago we we focused in on them but we haven't done a deep dive into what most people assume is the best team in this league what have you seen as you've kind of looked at this team preseason look at this team yeah I mean obviously it starts around Justin Fields I think that's probably where everybody begins when they talk about Ohio State, and rightfully so. You know, he's a favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, You know, just as a team in general, they're coming off a really frustrating and disappointing loss to Clemson in the college football playoff last year. And the sense that I'm getting is that Ohio State is is pretty angry about that, Um, not letting that go easily and and using that as fuel and motivation this entire offseason and going to try and take it out on, on Nebraska on Saturday. Um, but you know, you look beyond Justin Fields. I don't know that I've ever covered a team that has five, five stars on the offensive line. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, you know, the running back situation, everyone's going to say, yeah, they lost JK Dobbins. They bring in Trey Sermon, who in my opinion, never really got, um, a full workload in Norman, uh, at Oklahoma. He was never really asked to do too much, but when he was called upon, he was very productive. We've all seen master Teague. The wideouts are insanely talented, right? Chris Olave, um, we've seen Garrett Wilson. We've seen uh, a handful of these guys already. We have not yet seen a Julian Fleming, who they're really high on. They're really high on four of their freshmen that they feel like could come in and play uh, right away for them. But defensively, I think they have some holes. I think they're replacing all four guys up front on the defensive line, including Chase Young. And in the back end, they're returning three 
only uh, they're apt to fill three holes, including two first round draft picks, including two first round corners and Damon Arnett and Jeffrey Okuda. So the one returner they do have, Sean Wade, who was a slot corner last year, is going to have to bounce outside and, and play the outside slot. So um, I think the strength of the defense, both with experience and how this thing is going to run, is at the linebacker spot uh, with Pete Warner, with Tuff Borland, one of two, uh, three two-time captains in Ohio State history. That's pretty insane to think about. And Baron Browning. Uh, so I, they're good. They're really, really good. And Nebraska's going to have their work cut out for them on Saturday. Yeah, the linebacking core might be as good a group as there is in the country. I mean, and experienced. They're all three seniors in, in with Borland. And uh, well, Borland's kind of the, the main guy that you t- think a lot about. But they, they do have a ton of experience in that linebacking core. You know, it, to me, one of the interesting battles, and we've got Greg Austin in hour two, Huskers really like their offensive line. And you mentioned a lot of new names, new faces, and guys with much bigger roles along that defensive front. Can Nebraska control that to a certain degree? Can Nebraska win battles up front to get a bit of a running game going, get Mills going, get the quarterback run game involved in this thing? If they can do that, you can move the football, shorten the game a little bit. you got to score points. You're not going to beat Ohio State 21-17. You're going to have to score in the 30s to give yourself a shot in this game. And so, to me, a real interesting battle early on is going to be how how is Nebraska's offensive line holding up? Now, Ohio State blew so many teams out last year, Ben, that a lot of these guys who didn't play, who weren't, let me read, the, the players that weren't starters for Ohio State on defense last year still played a lot because they got such big leads they played their twos an awful lot. Does that sound familiar, Nebraska fans? I mean, that's what that's what the Huskers did in the eighties and nineties. I mean, they they would they'd be up four touchdowns at halftime, and the ones got most of the second half off, and the twos and threes got to play, and that's how you build your depth. Ohio State had that luxury last year because they steamrolled so many teams on their schedule. So even though Togi and some of those guys on the defensive front weren't starters they played an awful lot of football for them last year but to me can nebraska's offensive line do some work move the football get points on the board because you're going to have to do that because you're not you can play great defense and they're still going to score a bunch of points kind of like playing the chiefs a little bit right i mean you can play pretty good defense and patrick Mahomes going to find a way to score same thing with justin fields in this offense for oklahoma uh yeah i think for me um and I hate to put all the pressure on the coaches, but nobody in the country has better talent than Ohio State. I mean, you've got teams, a couple of teams that are equal to their talent, right? Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. They're probably all on par with how much talent is on the field. They're probably, you know, I don't think you could necessarily give the edge to one team or the other. I think you can probably, you probably have areas where, you know, maybe Clemson's D line's better than Ohio State's, but just collectively as a group of talent, um, I still think that there, uh, there is nobody better. So when you do have the disadvantage with personnel and with talent, there's a heck of a lot of pressure on the coaches with scheme and, and how you implement your schematics and how you attack that talent. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's why coaches embrace challenges like this. It's why, you know, it, the chiefs are so hard to defend. You have to find ways to out scheme them or because you're not going to beat them straight up. Their guys are better than your guys for the most part. You might be able to you know, pick a couple positions on the field where you're either equal or you have the edge. But 
out of those 11 battles, you're probably losing seven of them, seven or eight of them, and just in terms of overall skill and talent. So you've got to find ways to exploit their weaknesses and find ways to move the ball. As Scott Frost said last year, you know, there were times when you'd, you'd watch them on film and they'd say, okay, there's a crease here, there's a hole here, and there is, but it closes so fast because of how talented they are and how fast they are. So that, that requires a good scheme that, that puts your positions, your players in positions to be successful, and it, and it requires execution from the player standpoint to execute that game plan. And, and, that, and it sounds like a lot of responsibility on the coaches, and it is, but Greg, I'm thinking back to how even last year's game went. I think everyone wants to point to the game two years ago in Columbus and say, well, that's the, that's the game that Nebraska played them close, and that's true. That is true. I think Ohio State played a pretty poor game that afternoon in Columbus. I think they did a lot of things that day that they was was out of character for them. Dwayne Haskins had his worst game of the season, I thought, against the Huskers two years ago. And last year, I thought Ohio State played about as perfectly as they possibly could have in all phases of the game. And Nebraska just wasn't winning that game. Um, but even go to last year's game to prove my point, Nebraska did some things schematically that – had Ohio State on their toes and of course the attention of this conversation is going to be on the second series of the game when they did the I formation they ran Diedrich Mills as a fullback they they had Ohio State on their heels Ryan Day called a timeout when we got close to the red zone and the first play out of a timeout Jeff Okuda catches a deflected pass off Wandale's hands on his back at the five-yard line um, it was clear it wasn't Nebraska's night that night, but you get my point that these coaches still do things and they f- try and find things and find areas. Okay, if we're going to have 0.4 seconds to throw the ball with Chase Egg coming off the edge, which they did that night, <laughs> he, can't, he can't tackle us if we're giving the ball on the two-hole. If we're giving the ball to the fullback, it's going to take a Herculean effort for Chase Young to tackle us. And even if he does, chances are he makes the tackle five or six yards down the field. And he actually did that a couple times. But you'll take that. And so we've seen this coaching staff out-scheme or implement parts to their scheme or, or parts of their game plan that has really good opponents on their heels. And it's not just against Ohio State. It's against Wisconsin. We saw Nebraska come out and run the ball. And the best team in the country on third down, on third and five, third and six, third and seven, we were running those outside zone plays with Diedrich Mills and picking up easy first downs. They saw something on film that they could exploit and take advantage of, and they did that. And that Ohio State game last year, there's no way Nebraska could have run that I formation for four quarters and beat them. But the, for, the fact of the matter is that they did try some – even that first drive, Greg, I mean, if you remember the first set of plays, right, they, they spread them out. They ran five wide the first play. They try and slide protect. They hit the, the, the swing. They throw a swing pass. Adrian scrambles out of bounds on, like, the second or third play and gets hit out of bounds. We get 15 yards. It was clear in the game plan that Nebraska wasn't just going to try and beat Ohio State straight up, our guys against your guys. The coaches try and find different areas with their personnel that maybe could allow them to be successful on the defensive side of the ball. And yes, this year is, is it's going to be extremely um, better to have to do that when you don't have Chase Young and you don't have two first-round corners. It's going to be easier to do that this year, but it's not to say it's going to be easy and the Huskers can do it for four quarters. My point is that you've got to try to find ways to beat talent through scheme, and that's the responsibility given to the coaches. 
Yeah, and, they, and they've had plenty of time to get ready for this. They've known for over a month that this was the opening game. They knew they were going to play Ohio State this year, so I'm sure they did work on the Buckeyes when the coaches weren't holding practices and the world shut down. So they've had plenty of time to get after this. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see what they do come up with and what the plan is from Scott Frost and this offensive staff uh, when it, when the game gets kicked off on uh, on Saturday at the horseshoe. All right, 531-500-4686, the number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text as well. We'll come back with our practice report with comments from the head coach from earlier today. That's next. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by our good friends at JTEC. Football is back and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers for a free estimate. Well, winding down the week of Husker preparation for the Ohio State University, head coach Scott Frost meeting with the members of the media for the final time this week and started out by talking about the growth of his right tackle, starting right tackle. Young Bryce Benhart will get a crack against a really good defensive line. Coach Frost talked about the progression of the young offensive lineman. We have a number of, number of young guys that um, have been pushing forward, trying to earn a job. You know, we kind of uh, threw Bryce into the deep end and put him in with the ones and let him kind of learn on the fly here. We've had a lot of practices. Um, so, uh, you know, he's probably certainly not going to be playing as well as he's going to be three or four years from now, but we feel good about where he is. Uh, really talented kid. I um, think he's pretty confident right now. So he's going to get tested playing the, the type of team we're playing in week one, but um, he's going to be a really good player around here. Better for Bryce Benhart to start at right tackle this year as opposed to last year against these guys and dealing with that monster. Right. I mean, he's got Cooper and Harrison off that outside that are good players too, but they're not top five picks in the NFL draft. You can't miss Bryce Benhart. You, you you walk you look out on the field you'll pick him out immediately he is a mountain of a guy it's he's the floating head is who he yeah. is there's there's one yeah. head taller than everybody else that's Bryce uh, one area that hasn't been talked about um, a ton this week and 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 I don't know that this game will come down to a field goal but Nebraska's specialty units who the kicker is who the punter is and if Scott Frost has more confidence. And that group, will it be better this year compared to last? Yeah, it's better. It had to, had to get better. Uh, Connor Cope's going to kick for us. Um, he's done a, a really good job. Will Pristop's going to punt for us. And he followed that up with Cerny, the punter from Australia, had a, quote, setback and won't be available this week. Didn't sound like a season ender, but obviously not ready to go week one. Culp is the grad transfer from LSU. He was the Tigers kicker in 2017, then got beat out in 2018 and 19. He was the backup at LSU and was looking for an opportunity. Obviously, Nebraska had a good opportunity. I'm told that he started slowly in camp but has come on. Uh, so looking forward to watching him kick. And Will Pristup transferred from Michigan State where he was their punter a couple years ago. Averaged 40 yards a kick. Last year, he uh, was a backup for the Cornhuskers. But now he'll be the main guy for Nebraska. As much as that, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, about how the coverage teams do. Ben, can, can we get and cover kicks? Can we make 
not let somebody start a drive at midfield or you know can we make a big play on special teams where we can maybe bust a run ourselves with a Wandale or a Cam Tater Britt or who else maybe Ramir Johnson maybe back there returning some kicks or Ronald Tompkins can we get a big play in special teams this is an area for Saturday's game you have to at least try to play even with Ohio State. And they have two really good kickers, two senior kickers, both a punter and their place kicker, who are good conf- all-conference-type kickers. So Nebraska's got to try to match that on Saturday if they want to try to pull off the upset. And you can help eliminate that by a couple of things. Kicking the ball to the end zone, number one, mm-hmm. when you kick off. Number two, don't punt line drives right at the guy. We did that way too many times last year. And it just sets your return your your cover guys up for absolute failure. Speaking I, of failure, I, I wonder. Okay. Hold on before you move on. I wonder if when Scott Frost was answering that question, if he had flashbacks to the attempted onside kick Nebraska had at the horseshoe two years ago. I'd rather not bring that up again. That was <laughs> the that along back. with the Jake Cotton chair uh, falling backward is the <laughs> the not top ten plays of the decade for Husker football. Not not good to miss the ball on a kickoff, but. Whiffed it. Yeah, here we are. Um, anybody that's followed the team over, over the two years with Coach Frost has heard this saying, desire to excel, no fear of failure. How, how has that mantra, that culture permeated within the team and um, leading that type of mindset against a team like Ohio State here in year three, game number one? I feel good about us from that standpoint. Uh, the guys are, are excited about the challenge. Listen, we could complain a lot about a lot of things. Our guys are just excited they're going to be playing. Um, but they, they know the test in front of them. Uh, so I, I'm anxious to see their response when inevitably Ohio State makes a play or two on us, um, hits us in the mouth, scores on us, whatever happens. Um, I want to see a bunch of guys that don't like that but aren't afraid of the next play and go out and continue to try to make great plays. Um, that's all we can do, and uh, I, I feel good about that, but um, we also have to respond the right way during the games. It's, it's absolutely inevitable that, that Ohio State's going to do something good in the game on Saturday. Just how, how fast does it happen? I mean, and, and every team does something good in a point of, of a 60-minute football game, but it absolutely is how you react and respond to that when that does happen. And, that, and you can't just match it. Say Ohio State – pops a 70-yard pass on the first play of the game, you don't just match it for the next series of plays. You have to find a way to match their energy for the next four quarters. It's not just a one- or two-play response. It's got to be a response for the entirety of the game. There are just too many weapons on that Buckeye team. You are talking about how talented they were in the previous segment. They're going to get theirs, right? They're going to get theirs. So you have to try to come up with big plays on your own and hope to force a mistake here or there to hang around in a game like this. This is what top five teams look like. We should know. Huskers were one of those for several decades. You, you just, you're going to get things done if you're Ohio State. And for Nebraska, you go into the game knowing they're going to make some plays on you. Shake it off and go on to the next one. Logistically, how different will it be for the team traveling to Columbus with the new protocols put in place? Coach Frost talked about that today. I, I hope pretty similar. I hope as, as close to what we're used to as possible in regards to a lot of things. Um, we have to test again. Uh, we test twice tomorrow, once in the morning before we can get on the plane, once when we get to Ohio. Um, so that's certainly a wrinkle that we haven't had before. Uh, but I don't think the travel will feel much different. Uh, game day is going to feel different, I would imagine, with empty stadiums, uh, these giant uh, cavernous 
stadiums with no people in them is going to feel a little different. It will feel different. It, it yeah. will be a different environment. But in, ter- in terms of just the protocols and game day routine and regimen, I don't know. I don't know that much will be different. No, and, and you know. Uh, I've been asked this week, you probably have too, what about the broadcast? How's your broadcast going to be? I go, well, we're trying to keep it as close to normal as possible. There are going to be a few things that we can't replicate. 105,000 fans sitting there in the atmosphere and the energy that that brings. We'll, we'll, we're going to try to – same thing for the broadcasters. We're going to try to make give it a, as much of a legitimate and normal broadcast as we normally would as well. The players are going to notice it. So as the coaches have said for the last several weeks, you've got to bring your own juice. And, you know, opening game of the year, it shouldn't be any problem. You should be fired up. You've been sitting around wanting to play football. Here's your first opportunity. I would see both teams being pretty sky high when this one kicks off. Absolutely. Well, a big topic of conversation um, the last few weeks, especially with the rumor mill floating around with Omar Manning uh, as wide receiver and what to expect from that unit. Not only just uh, Saturday against the Buckeyes, but this entire um, season. And so Coach Frost talked a little bit about the young wide receivers he expects to contribute to this team uh, sooner rather than later. I think they could all go in the game. Um, you know, there's various, various degrees of being ready. Um, you're ready to run some of the plays. You're ready to operate efficiently in some of them or all of them or somewhere in between. Um Certainly a lot of new guys that we're trying to bring along. Uh, Lante Brown uh, has done really good things. Marcus Fleming, Xavier Betts, um, and others. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to just use a mix of all those uh, new guys as much as they're ready with some of the veterans that have been in the program longer. Um, he was asked about Omar Manning, and he said not sure about his availability. That, to me, doesn't sound great. Doesn't sound like a huge endorsement, but... Uh, you got to roll with the guys that you have. And, you know, that, that means pressure on Wandale, pressure on Levi Falk, le- pressure on Cade Warner and, and all, everybody else to go make plays when your number's called. Yeah, and I think they'll sprinkle in those young kids. I think Alante Brown will get some snaps, the, the true freshman from the Chicago area. I think Marcus Fleming, the true freshman from Miami, probably gets on the field. I don't know if Xavier Betts does or not, but uh, you, we'll keep an eye on see if he is out there. But you're right. It's going to be a mix of things. Same thing at tight end. I think you're going to see three tight ends playing awful lot, and that's Stoll, uh, Vokalek, and Allen. I think you're going to see all three of those guys out there for Nebraska on, on Saturday. Yeah, I would expect that as well. And, look, you just got to go make plays no matter who's out there. And that's that's why they rep so many guys out there, and that's why – you know, Nebraska practices the way they do is to get guys looks and practicing with the ones and the twos and the threes and everybody and get you used to those, you know, types of situations. Be interesting. Now, there's so many things I'm looking forward to seeing. One, just the Huskers being out there, but just so many different areas of this team we don't know about. The The excitement is building for me because it's opening week. We This is how I feel late in, late in August. I want to see what this looks like. What's that look like? And, man, we're doing it against one of the best teams in the country. I don't think there's anybody that would dispute that Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. This is a tall, tall task for Nebraska on Saturday. All right, that wraps up our JTEC practice report. Phone lines are open. Your thoughts. What are you hoping to see? What, what excites you about Saturday's matchup? 531-500-4686. The number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question or fire off a text on our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official sponsor of the Huskers U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. More of the show coming up. 
tonight. It's the Nebraska Football Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10, 5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. A weekly look inside the Cornhusker football program. Tonight, offensive line coach Greg Austin. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills spins away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope in the sideline, steps out of bounds inside the 30-yard line. Dedrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Proudly brought to you by Channel. Channel Seedsman plays products to perform across Nebraska. Get expert advice that yields results at channel.com. Now here's the host of the Nebraska Football Show, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to the program. For the next hour, we're going to be talking with Greg Austin, Husker offensive line coach, run game coordinator. If you want to be a part of the program, fire off a question at 531 500 4686, either with a call or a text on our U.S. Segator text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Segator, connecting Husker Nation. Well, how excited is Coach Austin on a Thursday night before the start of the season in the year 2020? Where are you on the excitement meter right now? Uh, I don't know if it's a scale of 1 to 10. I would give myself (laughs) about 11. (laughs) Uh, really excited, uh, excited to be on the show, excited to uh, be playing football. Man, golly, man, you know, uh, i tell you one thing, man, when things get, you know, kind of taken away from you, you don't really, you know, understand the value and kind of take things for granted, you know. And uh, one of the things that, you know, me personally, I've been able to um, uh, really take an inventory of was uh, was, was how I – how much I love the game, how much I love, you know, being around the boys, you know, coaching and developing guys and, you know, just that teamism, that team camaraderie. Uh, so, like I said, man, I'm just excited to be sitting here today talking to you guys and talking a little Husker football. 330 days since Nebraska football has been on the field in a competitive game. That is unbelievable. Let's just talk about – the growth you've seen from your guys in the last 11 months. What progress have you seen? A lot of that might be weight room work, uh, just classroom work, studying things. What what progress has that group made in your eyes? Uh, it's those guys just so much more familiar with, um, with, with the plan, right? Just the overall plan. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, the, the fact that we missed spring and, you know, missed an opportunity to get out there on the field and, you know, those guys took, you know, they, they took it on themselves to, you know, uh, exhaust the process uh, at every turn. You know, um, if it was just Zooms, you know, they were dialed into the Zoom calls. Um, and certainly when we were able to get back on the field, you know, they were, in my opinion, in some regards, you know, well ahead of what I anticipated that they would be. And, um, you know, the plan in terms of, you know, certainly the weight room, uh, ball, um, you know, and just understanding, you know, a lot of we've done a lot of situational things, you know, those guys being mindful of, you know, the task at hand. Uh, so I'm just like I said, I'm I'm in awe of um, how these guys have handled this uh, this situation. They've just taken it on. It's so professional. You know, they're so professional. So uh, I'm excited about those guys. You've only been in pads, I think, just over three weeks um, I'm sure you would have liked to have had more time in pads. How much did that change 
the whole rhythm and tempo, and how did your guys adapt to getting back into pads? Uh, I mean, certainly we, we, we spent a lot of time without pads on. Um, so, you know, in, in some regards, we had to retrain ourselves when we put pads on because when you play football without pads, in some regards, you'll build, you know, uh, some not so good habits, um, it, you know, for the sake of, you know, not having pads on, you know, uh, especially when the days where we couldn't have a helmet uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, but they've made uh, tremendous strides, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, taking that opportunity to, like I said, maximize the moment uh, and doing what they can without pads on, really honing in on the schemes, the techniques, you know, the body leverages, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then when we put pads on, it was just a matter of just getting the body ready for those blows, for those body blows, you know, those, you know, some of those, you know, those uh, those helmet blows that, you know, that you're inevitably going to take, getting your neck ready, you know, um, you know, getting, you know, just kind of getting your body ready, you know, for that that soreness that comes along with uh, with striking people, you know. So, like I said, we've uh, been able to get some good practices in here in the last three weeks with pads on, uh, getting our body ready, you know, for these body blows that are that are certainly going to be had on Saturday. Um, so I think that we've, you know, guys have done a pretty good job. Would you say this is the deepest your room has been since you've been here? Without a doubt. There's no doubt about that. You know, when I first got here, man, we had, you know, uh, about 10 guys in the room, you know, and of those 10 guys, I can say that, you know, um, five guys could really play for us at a high level, you know, and when I say a high level, heck, I'm talking about, you know, compete in the Big Ten, you know, if we will, and I'm not even talking about, you know, at the top of the Big Ten, just, you know, go out there and compete. Uh, now, you know, I'm fortunate to, you know, we're fortunate, not I, we're fortunate to have, um, you know, a lot of guys in the room and there's a lot of healthy competition that has gone on uh, in the last six weeks, you know, even without pads on for that matter. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I'm just, I have a lot of confidence in, you know, the guys that we're going to have out there playing for us. And, and certainly if a helmet pops off or if a guy gets nicked up, you know, um, we're ready to, you know, sub another guy in uh, and hopefully, you know, um, there won't be a drop off, you know, and that's the big thing. That, you know, you talk about depth. It's all, it's all about when the next guy goes in, you know, uh, what changes, you know, uh, and, and that cohesiveness of the offensive line is a big deal. And that's the one of the things that we've been, you know, especially with COVID, we've been trying to change up. We've been trying to play different guys next to one another so we can keep that cohesiveness, that cohesion um, together. Uh, we want those guys enmeshed with one another. So, you know, all of those guys, that depth, uh, you know, is a big deal. And, you know, I'm fortunate. Uh, we're fortunate to have uh, a lot of guys that can, uh, that can compete for us this year. That's a good dovetail into our first text question. This comes from Brad in Del Rio, Nebraska. He wonders how you, how you kept uh, the guys motivated through all the unknowns and challenges, and who are the leaders in your room? Oh, man. Oh, Brad. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, well, to all the listeners out there, uh, Brad is my neighbor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's funny. But anyway, um, so uh, the the you know the, the leaders in the room certainly are you know Matt Forniak the the senior guys you know Bo Wilson um, 
Cam Jurgens has emerged as a a big time leader. Uh, certainly, he's not the senior, but um, he's, he's certainly our center, the guy that's going to make the calls every play. Um, you know, Christian Gaylord's another senior, you know, that's been there solid for us. Uh, and, and you know, those guys are the leaders in our room, and those guys are the guys that are going to drive the, they're going to drive the train. You know, we we go off the energy of those guys, and uh, they've done a, a really good job uh, thus far of. Um, you know, of, of keeping the room, especially, you know, in uh, in adverse conditions, you know, I'm not going to say every practice was great for us, you know, but what happens, you know, when you have those moments of, you know, of, of you know, drop off, if you will, you know, what happens, you know, who's there to pick you up? And those guys have done a good job of that. And uh, I, I, I certainly assume and, and uh, I will uh, really you know, uh, be leaning on those guys very heavily for their leadership this year as well. You've moved Matt Farniak from tackle to guard. How's that gone? It's going well. Um, you know, he's a kid that had a lot of snaps, man. He, uh, he he played a lot of snaps at right tackle, and you know, we we wanted to move him before uh, now, uh, but we just didn't have the depth to do it. Uh, and, and now he's gone down, and, and he's done a good job down there. We're, he's continually getting better and, you know, working on his craft down there. It's certainly a different game, you know, playing with much shorter space, much smaller space down there in your, in your tight box down there at guard. Uh, but, um, you know, he's made the transitions well. He's made the transition well. He's, you know, again, he's a leader. You know, he's a guy that puts a lot of uh, comfort and confidence uh, and Bryce Benhart, the guy he plays next to at right tackle, and then, and then certainly uh, Cam uh, loves having him there as well, uh, as a guy that's very instinctive guy. You know, has a lot of snaps, like I said earlier. You know, so uh, we're excited about putting him down inside uh, at a place where uh, it fits more of his abilities. We heard Coach Frost earlier today. He was asked about Benhart's progress. So let me ask you the same thing. Well, what have you seen from Bryce over the last month? And this this is a big step up for him. Is he ready to roll? Yeah, I think about Bryce. I think about a bluehead man. We we talk about redhead versus bluehead guys, and um, you know Bryce is a, a calm kid, calm dude. Um, you know, not going to be overwhelmed, uh, and that's one of the things. You know, you walking in, you know, certainly the horseshoe, and you know, there's not fan, there's no fans there, but nevertheless, you're still playing a. A really good team, and um, you know when Bryce got in last year, we could use him for those four games as a red shirt, and you know uh, it never nothing overwhelmed him. Uh, so I'm looking for that same demeanor, uh, and certainly I'm looking you know for a guy uh, that made you know big time progress you know from the time that he got here to where he is now. We have a lot of confidence in him uh, going out there and competing at that right tackle spot, and you know playing at a high level for us for you know years to come. So. Uh, he was a highly recruited kid out of, out of high school, and he's come here, and he's kind of been on track exactly where we want you know him to be, and um, be excited for him to make his first start on Saturday. Okay, and back to our text line, Coach. What exactly is a run game coordinator, and how does it work during the game, and as far as play calls? Well, you know, uh, you know, a run game coordinator, and you know, it's kind of a fancy word to say that you know, uh, Frost in the, during game during game situations will uh, call on me, you know, from time to time and ask, you know, hey, what, uh, what should we run? You know, uh, what's, what's the best play for this situation, this scenario? Uh, what do you like right here? Uh, you know, I study, you know, we, I study this heavily. You know, I draw every single run up uh, that we have for the week, 
You know, it's um, I used to hand draw them. I, this week I actually did them on the computer, um, trying to be a little bit more uh, computer literate. Uh, <laughs> you know, but um, so so. Uh, you know, I sit down and I study it, and, you know, and I certainly know from a game flow standpoint, you know, kind of how the defense is attacking us. Uh, there's also situations and circumstances where, you know, uh, we haven't prepared for a defense that might be shown. Um, those are the things that I have to be dialed into. And, you know, I have to kind of make sure that I'm um, always ready uh, if called upon uh, for the answer, you know, with uh, if, if, if coach calls up on me or he asks, hey, you know, call the play. So uh, we might be in, a, in the middle of a, a, a formation, if you will, uh, and I see the look uh, from a defensive standpoint, and then, you know, it's like, hey, let's run this play, you know. Uh, and then, you know, uh, hopefully that play turns out well. Uh, uh, but uh, during the week, uh, responsibility-wise, like I said, um, it's, you know, kind of coordinating the run game, if you will, making sure that we get all the looks uh, that we need to the various – uh, schemes that we're going to run uh, and then above and beyond that man just keeping everything as dialed in and simple for the boys you know hard for the defense as possible but simple for our guys to learn um, and, and tying everything from a run game standpoint uh, in with the receivers and the quarterbacks and the running backs etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's a it's a long version of me saying that you know uh, it's a run game coordinator, you know. Um, we everything that the run game encompasses, I mean, I'm kind of responsible for, uh, especially on game day. Very good. Well, well, good question, good answer. Appreciate that. Coach is with us until the top of the hour. It's our Nebraska football show with Greg Austin tonight. You want to dot us up on our Sports Sunday hotline, which is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. 531-500-4686. More of your calls and more with the coach coming up. Every day is a road game for truckers and Truck Center Companies. Your local Freightliner dealer has kept you driving for over 40 years. Truck Center Companies, warriors on the road. 531-500-4686. You can give us a call on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. A few more minutes with left with offensive line coach, run game coordinator Greg Austin here on our Nebraska football show. Huskers set to open the season Saturday at Ohio State. 330 days since you've coached a football game. I can't imagine how amped up you're going to be and that whole team coming out of that locker room on Saturday. Yeah, we're going to be pretty, pretty amped up, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, we're going to have to bring our own energy too, right? You know, there's yep. going to be, you know, 400 people in the stands, if you will, or something like that. But, uh, you know, we're looking forward, looking forward to the opportunity, looking forward to the challenge. And uh, I, I like, you know, I like where our kids' head spaces are right now. How, how I mean, the, the disappoint. I can't imagine the disappointment back in August, Coach, when you were told it was done. I mean, I – you guys had to become counselors, I would think, to try to just get those kids' mindset, kind of pump them up a little bit. Uh, that had to be a really rough, rough stretch until the Big Ten reverse course. Yeah, I, you know it's funny because um, you know counselor is is the right term for it. You know, I I more or less called it a cheerleader. You know, I had to be a cheerleader. You know, I turned from a coach to a cheerleader, and 
you know, every day was a, you know, motive, like, hey, you know, I, I know, you know, everybody's dealing with the reality of the situation, and, you know, we have to accept it for, you know, what it is and, and find ways, you know, in the midst of the storm to, you know, to try to maximize this moment. How, what can we do, you know, today uh, that's going to make tomorrow better in, in some regards? You know, there's always something to do. There's always, you know, an opportunity, you know, uh, in the midst of adversity. You know, uh, every adversity brings with it the seed of equal opportunity. You know, so where where is that opportunity? Uh, and, you know, uh, at that point in time, you know, it was, all right, you know, what, what do we have to do right now? You know, hone in on academics, you know, um, uh, get you know get get with Keith Zimmer in the life skills department. Maybe you guys can you know uh, can go and you know maybe volunteer. You know and that was hard in and of itself because of COVID. And you know what can you do for your careers after football? You know some guys uh, and, and you know mentioned Cam Jurgens. You know earlier Luke McCaffrey did it as well. A couple of our D linemen they went coached high school football. You know um, so they found ways. You know in the midst of us you know being shut down at the moment. You know, uh, to to be locked in, dialed in, you know, close to the game as as much as they could. You know, certainly they were watching NFL tape and as much tape as they could as well. So, well, it's it's now real, and here we go. Saturday, the first of eight straight, hopefully nine straight weeks of getting ready for Big Ten football clashes. We appreciate it, Coach. Best of luck. Can't wait to watch this team play, watch you guys coach, and we appreciate the time, and we'll see you on the plane tomorrow. Thanks, Greg. Greg Austin. Go Big Red. Perfect. Greg Austin with us here tonight on a Nebraska football show. Download the NEX app today to complete your shopping experience at the Midwest's number one shopping destination, Nebraska Crossing. It's the official shopping center of Husker Nation. Nebraska and Ohio State, Saturday at 11. Pre-game begins at 6. We'll have an offensive lineman on that show, Jeremiah Searles. will join me for the opening drive and then another offensive lineman. What are we doing here? Brendan Stye will be with Ben McLaughlin for Husker Game Day. Two hours in the books on Sports Island. We're back with another one. Come on back. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, we are finally here. In 24 hours, we're going to have Big Ten football going. How about that? Our long regional nightmare is over, Greg. (laughs) We have football. They can't take it away from us, at least for this first week. I did uh, put something out on Twitter earlier just about what happens if a game has to be canceled. Uh, I don't even think they're going to claim postponed because unless they could, you know, stick it in a Wednesday in between week six or seven, Big Ten's obviously walking a tightrope here. There are no extra weeks. So uh, if one team has, uh, you know, a positivity rate on the team of higher than 5% and there's a population uh, positivity rate higher than 7.5 kind of within the program, the game becomes a no contest and no team wins or loses. So uh, Ohio State is certainly hoping that Rutgers can can keep the COVID cases down. But <laughs> yeah, man, we've it's been so long and we've all been sitting there on these Saturdays wanting Big Ten football back. And uh, I'm getting together with the boys tomorrow night. We're going to be outdoors watching. It's going to be about 48 degrees, but we'll still be happy. 
Very good. I can't believe you took a shot at Rutgers. That's just unfair to be able to do that. Uh, yeah. How do you think Kevin Warren feels? I mean, he, he's got to be – I mean, what, what is he thinks going through his mind? Uh, I can tell you a little bit about that. I actually talked to him for a story that we'll be publishing probably tomorrow morning just about kind of some COVID protocols and details. And I asked him, I said, hey, has it been rough for you watching these other leagues? Because, you know, Ryan Day said it's been torture. And, and Kevin Warren said it has not been. Here's the quote. Uh, we needed the time. I am so pleased with where we are now compared to August. We've used the time wisely, and I feel prepared. He also told me, uh, I'm looking forward to the Big Ten dominating college football this weekend. College game day is out in Minneapolis for Michigan, Minnesota. And as uh, you certainly know where the big noon kickoff show is going to be uh, at the shoe for Nebraska, Ohio State. So, uh you know, maybe it's lucky. Uh, maybe it was just happenstance. But the Big Ten is coming out strong this weekend with a lot of good games. I mean, Penn State, Indiana, good game. Uh, Purdue, Iowa. There's uh, there's a lot of intrigue out there. There is. You you mentioned uh, the Gophers and the Wolverines matchup. How much pressure is on your your pal Jim Harbaugh in that game? A lot. I mean, because it's hilarious. I'm going to put out my Big Ten power rankings today and have Michigan sixth uh, behind Indiana. And, you know, a few fans are getting worked up. It's like, why don't you guys learn year after year after year? Most overrated, overhyped program. I mean, I, I felt like saying, like, they're upset about it. I'm like, why? Is six too high? I mean, I talk to people within the league who think that's like a four and four team, you know, as they head into that week nine uh, week where you don't know who the opponent is. I mean, Michigan returns only one offensive lineman, have a brand new quarterback in Joe Milton. And obviously Joe Milton, Greg, you've probably read about him. I mean, people compare him to Cam Newton in terms of his size and raw ability. That said, he completed fewer than 50% of his passes in high school and has not done much at Michigan thus far, two interceptions and 11 attempts. So uh, this idea that Michigan fans seem to have every year that uh, that they are great and they're, you know, deserve to be in the top two or three in the league. I mean, prove it, prove it once, my God. So they're still kind of in a dream world over there. Um, Jim Harbaugh, as, as reported by Pete Thamel, you know, his contract, I saw the year 2021. So I don't know if it's, it, I think it expires at the end of this season, which is obviously very unusual. Jim Harbaugh has sparred with the president of Michigan, Mark Schlissel, and you know, that program is running like a massive deficit, like basically all programs that rely on football revenue. So are they eager to pony up $8 million a year, which is what Jim Harbaugh is making now? Or would they maybe ask him to take a cut? Whatever it is, if they go four and four this season after eight, it's not going to look good. So there is a lot of pressure there. Yeah, that one's got my attention. You mentioned Purdue and Iowa. That game's Interesting because the coach for Purdue isn't going to be there, right? I mean, he's trying to zoom in or be on a phone or something, but that, that's a huge story as we get into this era of COVID football. It is on both sides of the ball there because, you know, the coaching issues at Iowa in terms of Kirk Ferentz and yep. um, all the heat he is on. I mean, you probably saw just this week the Des Moines Register uh, published details of a lawsuit, eight former players, including Akram Wadley, uh, who seem to be asking for $20 million. So a lot swirling on Iowa. I think there's a good chance this is Kirk Ferentz's last year. Um, and in terms of Purdue, look, there are a lot of head coaches who I'm sure teams could live without, but Jeff Brom, he is the play caller. So mm -hmm. if he is unable to do that at Purdue, 
that's got to factor in. And Purdue's already had a lot of rough luck over the last couple of years. I mean, uh, Rondell Moore, you know, bad hamstring injury week three, week four last year and did not return. They thought he was gone for good. Obviously, when he opted out, he's opted back in. But it just seems like Purdue gets unlucky at skill positions year after year. So um, for Purdue's sake, certainly hope Brom can be in the mix. Yeah, no doubt. And the lights of, of Ryan Field will be on Saturday night. The Cats taking on Maryland. Fitz is probably ready to roll, isn't he? Yeah, it's a great first opponent for Northwestern. I mean, Maryland is like the most anonymous team in the Big Ten. I mean, I don't think an average Big Ten fan could name one of their players. So they have two as younger. They have two as younger brother, and he might be a quarterback. He might be the starting quarterback. He's one of the two in the mix. But they had so many opt outs and transfers, and you know they weren't well known to begin with. Now I guess Maryland is a little scary just because it's an athletically strong team year after year. And last year, Mike Loxley's crew, you know, scored about 160 points in the first two games and then got smoked by Penn state. And we're basically not heard from the rest of it, but Northwestern feeling good about itself, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback in Peyton Ramsey, highly motivated after Fitz's worst season, there, three and nine record. Uh, so that's a perfect first week opponent for the cats. Yeah. You know, Teddy, a, a lot of times cities in the sports world are, are identified by their lead writer. Uh, and, and Minneapolis lost one, a guy 100 years old, and Sid Hartman. Did your pass cross much with Sid? You probably saw him at a few press boxes over your over your days. A little bit, and I know his son uh, from some stuff. And um, Sid is, yeah, I mean, talk about, he was, he was a li- living legend until uh, until he passed. This is a guy who was selling newspapers in 1928 oh. so he's been involved in the newspaper business in minneapolis for you know it was like nine plus decades at one point he he bought the lakers you know he was involved in ownership of uh you know nba team before it moved to la um just so involved i mean dan wetzel was telling a story the other day on his uh, yahoo sports podcast of you know, the time Prince is giving a press conference before the Super Bowl because he was uh, the halftime act. So Prince, instead of taking questions, just plays music. Sid Hartman, at the end of the press conference or non-press conference, storms up to him and says, hi, I have some questions for you. To which (laughs) Prince replies, nice to see you, Mr. Hartman. (laughs) (laughs) So if Prince is stopping to take your questions and he knows your name, that's, uh, you've done something right. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, what's what's coming up for you? You got something happening? I got a little something happening. I got a little uh, little news to make. Um, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be revealing it tomorrow morning on Twitter. So Ooh, if nice any of y'all follow me out there at Teddy Greenstein, uh, check me out tomorrow morning. Um, but I'll still be with you as long as y'all have me every Thursday, man. I love uh, love doing the show and. Uh, Man, it's great that we're talking about Big Ten ball. No doubt. All right, we'll look for that tweet tomorrow. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy enjoy some Big Ten football. I will, Greg. You as well. See you, pal. There's still time to join the over 4,000 Husker fans who have already secured their spot in the Sea of Red sellout inside Memorial Stadium. The deadline to submit your photo for the Wisconsin game is Monday, the 26th. Sea of Red sellout presented by First National Bank of Omaha. It's the official bank of Husker Nation. For more information, visit huskers.com backslash Sea of Red sellout. 
Greg Sharp back with you here on a Thursday night. Sports Alley here on the Husker Sports Network. Husker is set to open the season on Saturday at the Horseshoe against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And we're delighted now to be joined by the voice of Ohio State, Paul Keels. Paul, great to have you with us. Uh, we got a game in a couple of days. Are you, can, can you believe we're, we're going to have college football here this fall? Pleasantly surprised, Greg, like everybody else is, I'm sure. You just didn't really know. And then even once it was announced they were going to play again, just hoping that everybody would stay healthy, follow the protocols. It seems as though from this end that everybody is, has done what's needed to do and there have been no flare-ups. So pleasantly surprised, yes. These two programs, I think, were kind of the lead, don't you, Paul? I mean, I, uh, Nebraska made some noise about, hey, we think we should try to play. And then I think the Buckeyes really took it and ran with it. Is that the feeling around Columbus? Absolutely. I think both those two programs, along with the Iowa parents, were very much the pace setters and trying to <clears throat> get the Big Ten to reconsider. Impressive when you realize that Kevin Warren at first said they wouldn't revisit the idea, but you know, with what went on with the Nebraska folks, and, and Brian Day has mentioned that he and Scott Frost had regular discussions about it. But I think it also goes beyond the football coaches, the football players, certainly administration from both sides. And uh, not only what Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, did, but uh, brand-new president, Dr. Christina Johnson, got very involved. And Jim Borchers, Dr. Jim Borchers, who's Ohio State's uh, lead team position, very instrumental in trying to implement the improved medical and testing components to get us to where there's going to be a game. Well, yeah, his name has popped up a lot. I think he's been huge in getting this thing, getting the, getting the conference to revisit this thing. All right, let's talk about the Buckeyes. What a tremendous team they had a year ago. I, I, I was so impressed when, when they came to visit Lincoln, how good a team that was. I really thought they would get Clemson. Talk about the disappointment at the end. It had to be there. And then what, what's motivated this team? Is it to, to get that last step and take that, go climb that last rung of the ladder to get to a national title? Well, that Clemson game has been their big motivation, Greg. And you can look at that game and you can see, you know, whatever questions you might have about the targeting call that took Sean Wade out of the game, the controversial call on what appeared to be a fumble recovery for a touchdown. But really, Ohio State can look in the mirror and see that in the first half, they had three red zone trips that resulted in field goals and not touchdowns. So motivation by the bad taste in their mouth, motivation about what they didn't do that could have helped change the outcome. And, and that's really been kind of their cry to push for improvement. Then you look at the NFL draft in April, two of the top five picks were Buckeyes, Buckeye defenders. How about trying to replace Okuda and Young? How about, what, what are some names that we may hear today and throughout the season for Ohio State on that side of the ball? Well, what helped is they had so many one-sided games last year that a lot of guys got to play. Seven Banks will be the guy at corner opposite Sean Wade. He's a guy that really has been a demon on special teams as well as getting some scrimmage downs. But the other names at the safety positions, uh, Marcus Hooker, whose brother a couple of years ago was an outstanding player here at Ohio State, Josh Proctor, and Marcus Williamson, guys that, that really have been competing for some of those spots. Tyreek Johnson is another defensive back. Cameron Brown, another. Guys who got a lot of significant reps last year. And they've even got a, a young freshman by the name of Lathan Ransom. They think that might be sniffing for some some downs. Uh, they lost a young defensive back to a knee injury, Court Williams, uh, about a week or so ago, Greg, they thought he was going to be a guy. But those are some of the names to be on the lookout for to replace that talented defensive secondary. The linebacking core, Paul, might might be as good as there is in the country. What's your assessment of that group? Well, it could be because of their ability, <clears throat> their flexibility, 
and their depth. They returned Pete Warner and Tuff Borland and Baron Browning. Browning was a backup behind Borland at times. He's been moved to the outside. That that group of three that'll start the game have 68 career starts at linebacker. But then behind them, you've got Justin Hilliard, who was granted a sixth year of eligibility after dealing with numerous injuries. And again, young guys that have played a lot, Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope. So it's a it's a deep group, and that's what Greg really leads to a lot. Chase Young was such a tear coming off the edge. Harrison's really solid. Cooper's really good. Can those guys kind of combine do some of the damage that, that Chase Young did last year? That's the hope, Greg, that by committee, that defensive line group can really continue to uphold that tradition. There's no headline name like a Chase Young or, or Joey or Nick Bosa. But <clears throat> Zach Harrison is a true sophomore, really came on toward the end of last year. Jonathan Cooper, a fifth-year senior, only played in four, and he intentionally made his fourth game the Michigan game so he could save the season as a redshirt to come back. Then there's others like Tommy Togiai, Tyreek Smith, Antoine Jackson, Tyler Friday, a group that by committee is hoping to continue. Now, you know, matching 54 sacks and over 100 tackles for loss, that's going to be tough to match from a year ago. But a group that by themselves and, in, and as a group has shown that they've been able to be a successful unit. Again, visiting with Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes here on on our Sinclair Oil Opposition segment. Justin Fields was almost perfect last year. 41 touchdowns, just the three picks. What what has he talked about? What have the coaches talked about? Where do you go? How much more can this guy do for this team? Well, you know, he's going to have to adapt to not having J.K. Dobbins running behind him. That really helped a lot and that experienced group of receivers. Justin Fields, late in the year, he got banged up in the Penn State game, and he wasn't as mobile. He still was very mobile, but not as mobile as he had been through most of the season. So just trying to be more consistent, trying to continue to excel at being a dual threat, both running and throwing the football, is what really is going to help Ohio State have success. But this is a young man, you know, remember, Greg, it's his second year here, second year being around the offensive coaches. But he also was somebody who very impressively presented himself in the push to play, going on national television, being very prominent in trying to get everybody aware that these football players wanted to play. And I think that impressed people at a time when we weren't sure there would be football. He gained a lot of fans, Paul, with what he did with that. We're living in a a day and era of of transfer students into programs. Trey Sermon is certainly a guy that – should have a lot of headlines. Great back from Oklahoma, now eligible to play for the Buckeyes. Where, what are the expectations for her, him, and how, how much do you think we'll see Sermon in this game? I think you'll see him a fair amount, but I think it's going to be a group by committee. And the expectations are high from Tracer. Coming from a program like Oklahoma, ironic, Greg, his first ever collegiate touchdown was a catch in Ohio Stadium against Ohio State when he played for the Sooners. But he's a guy that is coming back from injury. Master Teague is coming back from an Achilles injury suffered in the spring and the delay in the season has probably been more beneficial to master T, but a guy that got a lot of significant reps, you know, he had a good night in Lincoln last year with a couple of touchdowns, but it should be a good dose by committee of sermon and T with possibly steel chambers behind. Okay. Give me, give me the rundown on the wideouts. Olave, I guess would be the, the headliner of that group. How do you, how do you judge that part of this team? He would be the headliner with Garrett Wilson right behind him. And I remember seeing Garrett make an incredible catch there in the stadium at Lincoln last year. Uh, another to keep an eye on is Jamison Williams, a sophomore who got some significant reps. But this is an area, Greg, where they're expecting an infusion of some brand-new talent. Freshmen like Julian Fleming, Miko Cooper, G. Scott, 
uh, Jackson Smith in Jigba, our freshman who could contribute. And another guy to keep an eye out for is Cameron Babb. He's a sophomore from St. Louis. This guy has undergone three ACL injuries, mm. but he's somebody that's turned heads not only with the way he's rehabbed, but with what he's done on the field. So, it, again, it's going to be one of those situations like it's been in recent years. There's probably not enough catches, but the whole position group. Well, uh, let's talk offensive line. Great. I'm sure there was almost a parade when Wyatt Davis decided to come back. He was going to opt out when everything was getting shut down. He is going to come back. Uh, looks like a terrific offensive line in front of fields and those backs. What's your grade on that offensive line? Well, they've got people to replace, and getting Wyatt Davis back goes a long way, as you said, Greg. But Josh Myers at center really asserted himself at being second-team All-Big Ten last year. Harry Miller will be at one guard. He was a backup center last year, a highly recruited guy out of Georgia. But Harry Miller will be the guard opposite Wyatt Davis. And then it, it tackles Thayer Munford, who played an awful lot of senior, and Nicholas Petit-Frere, a sophomore out of Tampa, who really had to kind of grow into his body will be the other tackle. They do like the depth they have there with guys like Enoch Vamahi, Matthew Jones, Dewan Jones, no relation, and a true freshman from Cincinnati by the name of Paris Johnson, who they really feel is a guy that can give them some significant backup duty right away. Very good. How odd is it going to be for you broadcasting a game at Ohio Stadium with very few fans of inside probably a 1,000 in the crowd? Well, how different do you think is this going to feel? Well, it'll be different, but I think I may have told you earlier, Greg, we had some fourth quarters last year when there weren't many fans <laughs> in the stadium when Ohio State was boat racing some people, but it will be very strange. I, you know, Earlier I got to see a, a picture of the stadium with some of the cutouts that will be there. I know there'll be families of, of players and coaches, but it'll be very strange, just like it will be for everybody at every stadium in the Big Ten. Um, you understand the reasons why, <clears throat> and you know it's those kind of things that hopefully are going to keep the season going. The big push around here, Greg, has been also making sure that people are aware that, you know, there's going to be police watching the parking lots, that people aren't showing up and tailgating outside of the stadium, that there's not big gatherings right around the area proper. But it will be very strange. But, you know, I think once the game gets started, we'll all kind of adjust to it. And the folks listening at home may not know much of the difference. Paul, we appreciate it. Always great to catch up. Nothing good on TV anymore? Struggling to find something to watch? There's no crying in baseball! Well, we've got you covered. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It's time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! All right, let's see what's on everybody's screens over the last week. Ben, what have you been up to? Yeah, I haven't really watched much uh, TV. I will say, though, that my... My plan has been to start getting into my Halloween favorites. Mm. Um, so that, I've, I've been trying to get into some of that this week. Obviously, being the first week of game week, it's it's been a bit of a struggle to find the extra time. But hopefully I'm in more of a routine next week and I can get into the, to the holiday favorites. Uh, my wife hates scary movies, <laughs> hates them. But the rule in the house is that since I'm not traveling this year, I'm allowed – to watch one since uh you know she's not gonna have to be alone in uh while i'm in a hotel room somewhere so i'm thinking long and hard about what 
what scary movie I want to watch with her. If it's one I've mm. already seen and, and haven't seen in a long time or one I haven't seen yet, I got to pick wisely because this opportunity doesn't come around too often. But I will spend the time, hopefully some point this week, watching the uh, the Halloween movies, the early ones, because I, I love watching those this time of year. I love Mike Myers. That's kind of my favorite villain in Halloween. And uh, I'm hoping to get to watch those because that, that gets me in the spirit. Tim Tim gave you some Halloween type movies a couple weeks ago. No, because those are uh, those are foreign <laughs> films that I'm not sure participate in the in the American Halloween. So I'm going to leave those to Tim. Not the two um, I recommended the other week. Well, Ben, here's a, here's a thing that'll be your speed. How, how about Casper the Friendly Ghost? Uh, is that a she would like or? that? Yeah, she would like that. So that one we watch. That one we watch. Hocus Pocus. Um, there you, you know, go. T- those typical Halloween movies that that she likes to watch. Uh, what well, something about like mother or mom. No, it was uh, uh, Good Night Mommy, I think. Good right? Night yeah. Mommy. That one's not going to make the list, oh, I don't think. Oh, that's shame on you. That's, was that the French one or the English German. one? German one. That's my fault. Eyes Without a Face is a good French horror film if you want to get into that. But uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, does that bring out to me? I'm just going to no, take yeah, over it's, now. It's Josh. Oh. oh. Tim, Tim then, is chomping at Tim, the bit then here. Then Tim. Then Tim. Tim, Tim I We're think. We're saving the best yeah. for later on. That's yeah, that was good. All right. Well, I, I don't have a trailer either. I'm still – Working our way through the Marvel films still, and we uh, the last two that we watched over this past week were uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and then Captain Marvel. So two kind of probably lesser-known ones, maybe not the bigger ones, but Ant-Man and the Wasp has some good humor, and it has Paul Rudd, so he obviously it's still a, an action you know uh, film, but it I enjoy his sense of humor. So some yes. people, it's not for everybody, but I, I enjoyed it. And then... Ca- Captain Marvel is is interesting because they kind of made uh, a lot out of uh, you know a feature film out of a character that didn't have a huge role in the actual comics, but it's interesting because it's going to tie in at least a, I assume it's going to tie into the very last uh, Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame. So I'm looking forward to watching that one at some point, hopefully within the next week or so. Good, yeah. All right, Tim. Well, I just got done watching The Haunting of Bly Manor, the new Netflix miniseries. as kind of the follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House uh, from creator Mike Flanagan. Here's a clip. We lay my love and I. I have a story. Beneath the weeping A ghost story. And, you know, the creepy children are always scary, but unfortunately for the series, it actually isn't that spooky. Um, there, there's lots of atmospheric stuff, particularly in the first few episodes, but as the series got kind of came on, I, my, my interest started to wane a little bit because, frankly, uh, the... the it just isn't that spooky. So just real quick, the, the, the basic premise is it's set in the 1980s in, in the UK. And after the, the tragic death of this family's parents, they kind of live in this, this stately manor, a.k.a. Bly Manor. And they hire this 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 nanny or an au pair, as they would say, uh, over there uh, to take over. And spooky stuff starts happening. All these characters are dealing with drama. But there's too many characters. There's too many through lines that don't go anywhere. And unfortunately... 
I just didn't like it that much. And it was just disappointing because I actually recommended a movie, uh, a, another spooky horror movie, uh, from the same director who, who came out with the series, Mike Flanagan, Dr. Sleep, which is excellent. Um, and this director really likes to do a lot of Stephen King kind of based horror stuff, and uh, and I, which I appreciate. But but The Haunting of, of Bly Manor, just it, it didn't do it for me. I've heard good things about The Haunting of uh, Hill House, which is what he, which was the, the original series of this. But no, unfortunately... Uh, don't uh, don't 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 waste your time with the haunting of Bly, Mar- Bly Manor. It's just not wow. scary enough. Just okay. not scary enough. All right. Do we have a rating on Rotten Tomatoes for this, or is it not on there? Uh, it's on there. The audience score is like a six out of ten, sixty percent, and then the the critics kind of liked it. They got like an eighty-seven. So um, you're not you're not you're not as high on it as the critics are. The professionals. No, no what do they know? Um, right. the, 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 yeah, exactly. Just listen to me. You don't need to listen to the critics. All right. I went old school. I went back and and watched Back to the Future Two. Do you remember the future? You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Are we back? We're back. October 21st, 2015. Marty, we're going to be able to see our wedding. Wow. Future. I got to check this out, Doc. Look what happened to your son. He's a complete wimp. This one, and I I don't, I've forgotten a lot of parts of it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But it had a sports hook to it because of the sports almanac that he found in the bookstore that had all the results. And then Biff, you know, stole it, went back in time, gave it to his younger self. And Biff became this really wealthy guy uh, and dominated that town until Michael J. Fox and Doc could get it set right. So there you go. It's been years since I've seen that number two. You guys have seen that trilogy, right? Not just the first one, unfortunately. Oh, you haven't seen <laughs> two or three. All right. No, just the first one. Hmm. Classic 1980s movie, Michael Don't J. tell Fox. him to watch it. He won't. <laughs> yeah. Moneyball is in the queue. It's on Netflix now. Good stuff. Thanks to Ben, to Josh, to Tim, to all of you. Have a great night. Ben will host it tomorrow night. I'll join him for a segment from Columbus. Good night.